0: Hey, it's Canzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
1: Initialize sequence.
0: Welcome to The Baldcast.
2: A production of John Canzano's Baldface Truth. B F F T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High-Caliber Millwrights, Here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth.
0: Well, the Trailblazers showed up to media day today, trying to uh, trying to craft a narrative for the season, trying to close the books on the Damian Lillard era. Trying to open a new chapter. Introduce uh, DeAndre Ayton. Introduce uh, Scoot Henderson officially. Manage expectations, maybe? I don't know. But I'm here for it. Our next guest has been through some media days. As the former general manager and team president of the Trailblazers. Former executive both in the NBA and the NFL. Also, uh, general manager of the Seahawks. Excuse me, general manager of the Supersonics. And team president of the Seattle Seahawks. Commonly known as Trader Bob. He's now written a book. I'm excited to talk with Bob Witzit. Former Blazers president and general manager. Now an author. His book's out next week. He's joining us now. Uh, The name of the book, if you're interested, Game Changer, out next week. Get it on Amazon. Grab it at a bookstore. Bob Witzit, thank you for making time. My pleasure,
3: John. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Media Day is being held across the country. Do you miss miss Media Day as a president or GM?
3: You know, I love my two favorite times of the year really were the playoffs, obviously, and training camp. Uh, media day really for me didn't you know wasn't my favorite thing but it was a very important thing i think it was really more fun for the players because you know they've had their long summer they've been away they've worked out and it's a chance to everybody's coming back fresh creating some excitement but really at the end of the day everybody just wants to get on the court and start playing
0: give me an idea what did you love about training camp is it is it the hope is it the anticipation is it seeing how the roster comes together what was it Well, it's really the only
3: chunk of time during the year where you can have an extended period of time with practices. You know, I don't know if the rules have changed dramatically, but we used to do two-a-days. So you could get a number of days of just practicing, teaching, developing, uh, watching different combinations. Guys were playing hard because they were fresh. Once you get into the season, you play so many games that even on the off days you know some of your guys couldn't practice full throttle because they were beat up and tired so to really get a chance for everybody on the roster for the most part going hard for three four five days in a row it's and, and you know the competitive juices and different combinations and it's really the the time you can experiment a little bit but uh, um, yeah and and again everybody's starting out fresh so we're we're all thinking this is our year and uh, you know, the sky's the limit.
0: Blazers were in a uh, pinch with Damian Lillard asking for a trade, Joe Cronin as the general manager, and you got Burt Cold involved with this, Jody Allen involved. What kind of position did, did Lillard and Aaron Goodwin put the Blazers in, in your mind, as you watched it from 20,000 feet? Well,
3: I can appreciate it. Uh, I think, first of all, I'm usually a pretty hard grader, and I think Joe Cronin did a really nice job, Uh, so I'll start with that, but there's not too many times where you are in a position where you're being asked to trade a franchise player. Matter of fact, there's not that many franchise players, and uh, I went through it twice. I did it once with Jack Sikma in Seattle. I did it with Clyde Drexler in Portland, and then when when Dame Lillard asked out, it's it's a lot of pressure on, on the organization, on the community, you know, fans are torn. You know, you can never get enough. You know, it's never the right deal. But when it, when it's all said and done, I think they handled it well. Um, I didn't think Miami was going to be the right deal, and they were patient. They figured out what made sense for them. I think they got the best deal for the Blazers. And uh, it also worked out for, for Dame. I think he got to go to one of the three or four teams he was hoping to go to, so he gets a chance to to go for a championship, and I think Portland, they really identified where they are now, where they're going. They've got a young team, they've got kind of a core, you know, when you you take Aiton, and you take, you know, Scoot Henderson, and Sharp, and Simons, and Grant, I mean, they've kind of said, here's our group, they're young, they're all under contract, or committed uh, to the team for the next three, four years, Um, and then they've got some future picks, so you can't just sort of stay in the middle, and, and they really weren't going anywhere the last couple of years. So, um, you know, they figured out the direction they want to go. They did it, and uh, uh, I applaud them for that. I think that's what you have to do.
0: What does a trade like that do to the rest of the NBA? Because in your time, you made deals like that, and it, and it felt like other franchises had to react to it. Uh, you know, when, when the Blazers make that deal, you know, what, what happens in the Eastern Conference is other teams look at Milwaukee? Well, when
3: you trade a guy like Lillard, really there's not that many teams who probably want him. For the simple standpoint of you have to be in a position where you think you can win a championship. And so how many of those teams really exist and how many of them have that need and how many of them have that capability to put the deal together? But if I'm a contending team, you know, you can pick whether it's the East or the whole league, Um, Milwaukee put a few more chips into the pot, and they said, we're going for it. I think they also did it because Giannis was making a little bit of noise about he wanted to make sure the organization was committed for for winning in the future, and bringing a guy like Lillard on board says that. So, you know, Boston reacted. They did the other piece of the Portland trade by giving Holiday, who's a really solid player. Um, You know, if you're in the West, you're – you know, all the teams that think they have a chance to go for it, you know, it doesn't mean there's some deal they can go make, but they probably don't like it when a really good team gets a little bit better. So um, there is a ripple effect, but there's not always another move that can be made.
0: The, you know, when, when we unpack the trade, it comes out, Damian Lillard telling people that he asked for the trade uh, demand to be rescinded, Joe Cronin coming back saying, you know, he didn't think that was a good idea. Um, what would you have done in that situation? Player you know, asked you to be traded and then says, I don't want to be traded. I mean, I think with Drexler, when he asked to be traded, you kind of told him you weren't going to do a bad deal and you took him all the way to the trade deadline.
3: Yeah, I think with Clyde it was a little different. He wanted out, but uh, I had to. he never changed his mind. He wanted out. Yeah. I had to sort of work with him a little bit. He wasn't going to come to training camp, and then he wasn't going to – go to Japan with us. He was trying to put the leverage on us to to get a deal done instantly. And I I convinced him at some point in time that, Clyde, the best thing you can do is play, be Clyde Drexler, let the league see you're still Clyde Drexler, and then will give me more opportunity to find a home for you. And he did that, and he played very well, and eventually he he got his ring in Houston. So once a player tells you they want out, if they then kind of do a flip flop on you, I'd be a little bit leery because, you know, you got to be all in. And if you said you want out all summer and then you do a quick "I want out," odds are you're probably going to later on say you want out again. So, I think Portland realized it was probably right for both sides to make a move. And frankly, when Dame doesn't ask out, if the organization thinks it's still best to make a move, it's a little harder for them because. When your um, your player like Dame is, is is not asked out and he still wants to be there, it puts extra pressure on the team when they do make the move. So, uh, he loosened the pressure up a little bit by asking for a, a trade. Uh, they did the right thing, and I think I think all I think both parties would be happy when it's all over.
0: Bob Witsit with us. Uh, you've written a book, Game Changer. What made you want to write the book? Well, it's you know I'm not an
3: author, so that's a great question It, it was probably a two or three year project. It was a combination of uh, you know I do a lot of events and people are always asking me to to write the stories down and to put them somewhere and I thought you know I just completed law school I had some free time on my hands, so I thought I'd dedicate that to writing and uh, you know it was a chance to tell a lot of the you know the stories from the Blazers days, the Sonics days, the Seahawks days, but it also allowed me to put a, put other elements in there. I, I wrote a chapter on how to negotiate, and I, I probably have a dozen or so tips, and I I have real-life examples of how I use them in, in player transactions or deals with agents. Um, I did things on the other end of the spectrum. I, I, I rated the best all-time NBA players and best coaches. I, 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 I put some pages in there, and how to get a job in pro sports. I, I told people what the actual job of a GM is. It's a little bit of a something for everybody kind of book. It's an easy read, uh, there's 16 pages of pictures, so it's a little bit of a memory relaying, it's a little bit of a memoir, it's a little bit of a book for younger people that might want to get in the business of sports, and um, you know, it's, it's you know, I've been pretty happy with the reception. I've had people inside the league read it, and they've liked it, and I've had people who don't even like sports, have liked it for different reasons. So, um, again, I don't think it's going to be my calling to be an author, but I'm I'm proud of it and happy I was able to get it done. And as soon as we get done promoting it, I can move on to my next project.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Give me an idea. Blazer stories that are in there. For Blazer fans listening, what would they learn more about?
3: Well, you know, well we were just talking about Clyde, so you get a little bit of the behind-the-scenes of how, how the Clyde Drexler deal unfolded. You get a real detailed uh, play-by-play on how I was able to get Pippin, uh, Scotty Pippen, in a Blazers uniform. You might get some of the uh, kind of the fun goofiness, if you will. Uh, you know, there was one game we were playing the Lakers. We were beating them pretty bad. J.R. Ryder was having a fantastic game, and, and I, I tell this story that all of a sudden he got booed. Once uh, it was in, it was in Portland. And he literally, in the middle of the game, pointed to his girlfriend, asked her to come down. He, in his uniform in the third quarter, he, he he walked to the parking garage. I followed him out. I said, what are you doing? He said, I got booed. I'm out of here. And I said, JR, are you crazy? <laughs> and, and he might be. I mean, we, we you know, there's some debate there. But I said, you, you leave this building. You're suspended. He got in his car in his uniform with his girlfriend and drove out. So I had to suspend them for a couple of games. So there's always a little something wow. going on behind the scenes. <laughs> I got to, I, I got some great Rasheed Wallace stories in there. There's just the, there's the fun elements. Then there's the real how to make a deal elements. There's the, and as painful as it was, I I, I relived the uh, 2000 conference championship when uh, we lost that heartbreaker to the Lakers when we were up by uh, 13 in the fourth quarter. So. You know some of the some of the good trades, some of the trades I'd like to have back, but there's actually quite a bit of blazer blazer stories in there, and um, you know you, you got to relive them. They, you know some of them worked out really well, some of them you'd like to have a do over, and uh, and a little bit of everything in between. A lot of Sabonis stuff. I like Sabonis, and so I you know got some Sabonis stories in there, and it's still hard to believe that little Damontis, who was uh, yeah. running around the practice court when Arvidas was playing, is now an all-star so uh you know time marches on a lot, of, a lot you, of great memories
0: if you get sabonis younger what happens to the blazers
3: well i wasn't there but i honestly think if they would have got uh Arvidas, uh in the late 80s certainly by the 90s season i think they would have won at least one championship they had you know that three-year period there where they were in the finals twice and i think uh I think a Sabonis on that team might have been enough to to push him over, but, you know, who knows? Nobody knows, but uh, that was a great Blazers team, but um, I think any team, no matter how good you are, uh, would be better with Arvidas on the team because he was a a team player, a little bit like uh, Jokic today. Jokic is probably better today, but uh, Arvidas was a, a passing big man who could do a little bit of everything, so... I think with the athletes that team had and the passing and the cutting, um, I think he could have added one more dimension. But, again, nobody knows. It's just an opinion. Um, that was a great, great team they had. But I think he would have been even a, 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 a greater addition to it.
0: You know, uh, Bob Witz, it's our guest, former Blazers president and GM. You've been part of different franchises, had uh, you know the pleasure and challenge of working for Paul Allen both with the Seahawks and the Blazers. What what was that period of time like for you as an executive trying to win? And as I understand it, by the end in Portland, I don't know how many businesses you were running, but you had a lot of other things on your plate besides basketball.
3: Yeah, I write about that in the book, too. Um, I had too many jobs. I think I was a president of like 15 companies, mm-hmm. the, the big ones being the Portland Trail Blazers, and then it was the Rose Garden Arena. And the seattle seahawks and the then it was called Seahawks stadium obviously those four jobs alone are are massive and to do it in two different cities was pretty much impossible and i'd always say let's get other people to run some of these things because all i really wanted to do was run the basketball team but um we did what we we had to do to get involved to try to save the seahawks so they wouldn't uh, move to los angeles and um you know paul didn't like to deal with a lot of people and and, and he dealt with me so he kind of made me responsible for more things but it was not a, 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 a it was that good for me and i don't think some of the companies were getting my best work because i, I just didn't have enough time and that's when i finally said hey I'm, I'm i'm done i can't do this anymore this is my last season in portland uh, i'll still do the stuff up in seattle but uh you know, we went back and forth during my last season, but I think he eventually realized, you know, I meant it. I wanted to have some family time. I wanted to see my son finish up uh, his last two years in high school. And, uh, and again, I, I think these jobs are so big, you can't have one guy doing everything. It's just not not good for the person, not good for the organization. Uh, there's just too much at stake. So um, I made the break, and, and you know, and then Paul started, you know, Finding my replacements in Portland, and you know, for a couple of years, he was hoping I'd come back to Portland. And I think when he figured out I wasn't going to do that anymore, he ultimately, uh, a few years later, fired me from the Seahawks because that was kind of on autopilot. And um, you know, when I said I was making the break, I made the break, and I did not go back. And um, you know, but anyway, Paul was a good owner. He, know uh, one thing I'll say, he really wanted to win a championship in Portland and he was passionate about the Blazers loved basketball Uh, you know he was he was demanding which is not a problem you want owners that are demanding and he was committed he was absolutely committed to uh, trying to bring a championship to Portland and he certainly had no problem spending money to try to make the team better in all areas Uh, they didn't even have a practice facility when I got there and I told him hey we got to build one and he He didn't balk. He said, no problem. Do what you need to do. So, um, you know, you get an owner like Paul, uh, you've got a chance, and that's really all you can ever ask for.
0: What was it like when you brought a deal to Paul Allen? You bring in a prospective trade or a free agent signing. What's that conversation like?
3: Well, it's usually not one conversation. It probably goes on for a while, but Paul would really engage Uh, odds are he probably knew who the player or players were that I was talking about. Uh, Then he'd probably want to watch some tape on them to get a better understanding. He'd probably want to talk to the coaches to get their feel for how that player or players would fit into the roster and um, how much they were behind the deal. He'd want to understand the short term and the long term. So, I mean, he really would ask all the, the really good questions, and then if he didn't like it, he would push you hard, and if you were good with your discussions and arguments you'd probably win the day and if you weren't you'd probably lose the day and move on to the next thing so um, very rarely was there a here's a deal we've got five minutes to decide it unless it's draft day and then those are discussions that probably were ongoing prior to draft day so a lot of really thoughtful questions you know but, you know, but I'd say first and foremost, he would, he would approach it more from the team side uh, and then work his way toward the business side, the cap side, those kinds of things.
0: Was it different dealing with him as in the NFL context than the NBA?
3: Yeah, I think in the NFL context, I wasn't ever pushing any deal. I was just taking the deals that our guys wanted to do to Paul And hopefully I got all the information and asked all the right questions so I could answer Paul's questions. And if I didn't, um, I'd either go back and get more information or I'd just connect him with uh, the GM or the coach or whomever it might be. But um, yeah, I would never say, hey, we got to get this uh, offensive guard because he uh, he can pull (laughs) and, and, and move to his left. I would try to first work through the cap questions with the organization and then the personnel questions and... Uh, kind of filter it out and then get, you know, Paul's blessing. And and I don't think Paul ever vetoed a deal in the NFL, at least not while I was there. Um, I think we asked all the right questions. I think we got all the right answers. And, um, you know, you hire the people and you hope they're good at what they do, and then you give them a lot of leeway. But then you hold them accountable. If they're not getting the job done, um, you know, over a reasonable period of time, um, you know, Paul Paul didn't have a, you know, it, it's yours for the rest of your life. He expected you to get results, and if you didn't get results, he was probably interested in making a change.
0: Bob Witsit with us, former Blazers president and general manager. His book is called Game Changer. You can get it on Amazon. It's out next week. You can get it in Barnes & Noble, any bookstore across the country as well. Bob, the, the job of a general manager today versus – Maybe if we go back to 2000, 20, 23 years ago or so, um, has, has it changed much in your eyes? Can you still win in a small market? I
3: think you absolutely can. I think it's really only changed maybe one, possibly two ways. The biggest way is, is the evolution of social media. And, you know, there's so many voices out there and, and many of the players have become their own brand. Uh, you've always had to deal with media, but with the the instant uh, social media aspect, you could spend all day long just just doing that. And you've got to do uh, enough of it, but you've got to keep your eye on building your team and uh, developing the relationships that you need. And I think the other thing that's always been important but continues to evolve is managing the salary cap. Now with the new labor agreement starting with most of the rules kicking in next year, with the second apron, you 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 know, mistakes are never good. But if you make one of these mistakes today with the dollars that are out there, you know, n- not just as an economic problem, but you really can paralyze your franchise from a cap point of view for many years. So I think you have to continue to draft extremely well. You have to develop your players extremely well. You have to really be out there in the trade market and and, and find something before the rest of the league really understands that's possibly going to be a good deal. You have to be willing to move your guys possibly a little early as opposed to too late. Um, But no, other than that, the business is really the same. The style of play has changed. We're much more of a three-point league than we used to be, which is fun and is exciting. So you you have to know what, style you're building and and committing to and and developing, but, uh, uh, you know, I think the job of management is is extremely important. You know, you're you're hiring coaches, you're giving them really big contracts for for extended periods of time, the coaching staffs are big, so if you're going to make a change, it's a huge change to clean out a whole coaching staff. So, uh, I think you just, you know, like it was in the past, you just have to really continue to do your homework really well, be committed to what you're doing, and try to uh, do more things right and fewer things wrong. Everybody's going to make mistakes. I've made mistakes. We all make mistakes. But you got to get more things right than you get wrong. And if you do that, you're probably going to be heading the right way.
0: I, I keep thinking about you and the potential for expansion of the NBA and whether or not you'd want to get involved and in what capacity. You know, you mentioned early in the call, you know, whatever comes next for you. Could that be, could we see Bob Witsit back involved with the NBA in short order?
3: No, absolutely. I'm I'm sort of not making it any secret, but I'd love to be involved with an expansion team in Seattle should expansion come down the road. I personally believe it will, uh, but I certainly don't speak for the league Uh, I would love to be involved, and I'm pretty wide open as to what capacity I, uh, you know, could be anything from being part of ownership to if you need me to sell popcorn, I'll do that, and probably there's a lot of areas in between, but um, I would love to see that happen, I think it would be great for Seattle, and frankly, I think it would be great for Portland, I've always thought when the Blazers are playing well, and when the Sonics were in existence and they were playing well, that's a great rivalry, and, and one of the things you need in sports, I think, is a great rivalry, and uh, uh, we need that in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, hopefully the Blazers, with the, the new direction they have now, will continue to grow and get better and better. Hopefully someday in the near term, you know, the, the NBA will put an RFP out and let cities try to go get an expansion team, and, and I know Seattle will try to get in on that, and if we're successful, hopefully we can build a good team. and. Someday down the road, hopefully those two franchises are duking it out for the Western Conference Championship, and both cities are revved up. I think that would be exciting. That would be fun. That would be good for everybody.
0: Give us a a last question here. Just some insight. You're in in that world. You rub elbows with owners and ownership groups. Uh, The Blazers' sale is on everybody's mind. How important is it for a franchise to get direction and get ownership rather than sort of this weird trustee situation that they're in now?
3: Well, I think any successful franchise, if you really look at it, it always starts with ownership. Um, Ownership's commitment to the team, to the community, um, their vision, their patience. You know, the the best franchises, if you look at them, the championship franchises historically, and I guess in the NBA you can look at the Lakers, you can look at the Celtics, currently now, you can look at Denver, but these are usually, the the teams that win are usually, you know, Miami, they've got, you know, know, San Antonio, they've got, you know, consistency and and commitment and and vision. It's, you know, you don't see the teams that are constantly being sold usually winning too often. You know, Golden State's had a a really good run, and and this ownership group's been together for quite a while, and they've been committed. So, um, no matter how good you are at your job you know most of it happens behind closed doors and and that starts with the commitment from ownership so it's extremely important and uh you know same thing in the nfl i'm sure it's same thing in in, in pretty much all pro sports uh that's that's where it starts doesn't mean you can automatically win it but it's pretty hard to win it if you don't have the commitment from ownership
0: bob Witsit. I appreciate you. The book is game changer. It's out next week. Good luck with it.
3: Thanks so much, John. And uh, uh, let's let's hope the Blazers uh, get things heading north.
0: Yeah, I I hope so. It feels like they turned a corner. I I like what they did. I I think uh, I I loved hearing your assessment of the position Joe Cronin was in because I think a lot of people don't understand the job. I know when I first got in the business, I probably didn't understand really all the things that a general manager did, and so. To have you kind of break that down and come away with it going, hey, uh, you know, I think he did well, uh, I think says a lot.
3: Yeah, no, I think Joe did a really good job, and, uh, you know, I hope the fans appreciate that and, and, and agree with me, but that's certainly my take.
0: Bob Witzit, there he is. The book's called Game Changer. You can pick it up next week. Leave it here. We really enjoyed that interview with Bob Witzit. You want to talk about it? 503-417-7575. How about J.R. Ryder leaving the arena in the third quarter in his uniform with his girlfriend going to his car with Bob Witsit running after him? Steven, you had to love that.
2: I love that story. I mean, I remember, you know, being a kid watching J.R. Ryder. You always knew there was a little something off with of that guy, but he was a, I mean he was a good player, and it's just like, man, you know, as the story goes, as he said it, you know, they were dominating they were playing really well against the Lakers, dominating them. He hears one boo and he's out. You know, and it's just it shows the difficulty i think in coaching and being like a in management in professional sports especially because all these guys have egos man it was that's a great story I, I just love that one
0: let's go to the phone lines cams and eugene listening on fox sports eugene go ahead cam
2: hi john thanks for taking the call i heard what you said about the blazers uh having a good pick and getting better off of it i frankly couldn't disagree more i think you got a Pretend Damian Lillard never existed if you think the Blazers got better from that trade. We got three guys I can't recognize. You said one of them. I guess we we traded a mediocre big who we paid too much. Now we have a lazy big that we're going to pay too much. We have one draft pick in 2029, so I guess the rebuild's been put off for another five years. And it's only one draft pick, and the right to trade two others and get a slightly better pick, but it doesn't matter because it's still the Blazers who are going to be picking them. We might I get think, another guy yeah. with fifty-year-old knees, or we might get another You're guy. You're starting to sound like me, Cam.
0: You're starting to sound like me. You're starting to sound like you know, you and I are out on the front lawn yelling at ownership and management. Isn't the bigger issue you don't have faith that they're going to turn those picks into something that will make you happy? Let's be, let's drill down. Isn't that the issue?
2: It's not faith because faith is, is a belief that you have that you
0: can't attach to anything.
2: I have 2.5 decades of failblazers since <laughs> Clyde Drexler left to look at and say that the the best predictor of performance is past performance, and the past right. performance has been horrid.
0: <laughs>
2: if? So great. Even, if even if we hit it out of the park, it's just the next LaMarcus Aldridge or the next Damian Lillard. Who will be one in a generation? We will get no support
0: for him, and that guy will leave too. What do you want out of this franchise? What do you what what is it you're looking for as a fan of the Blazers? You're investing your time, your energy, maybe your money if you're buying tickets. I don't know if you're buying tickets, but you are definitely investing emotional energy. What do you want in return? Uh, The team needs to
2: sell. It needs to go and it needs to go to Phil Knight. It needs to go to Nike because with the market that Portland has to work with, which the Bucks have just proven, it's plenty big enough to get whoever you need because they can do it. Uh, But but even that being said, with this sort of market, you need more brand power. You need to put shine on the logo and nobody does that for a team I, I think quite like Nike can do it and Phil Knight can do it and we need to make We need to make the Blazers cool to play for again like they were in the nineties, instead of, you know, that poor team that can never get it across the finish
3: line.
0: Yeah, you don't trust him right now, and I don't blame you for not trusting him. But I do think Joe Cronin got the best deal that he could get for Damian Lillard right now. Bob Witsit signing off on that makes me feel better about having that opinion. I didn't know Witsit was gonna say that before he came on, but Witsit, you know, Witsit likes what Cronin got. But isn't, Anna, you stepped into the studio. You grew up rooting for the Blazers, sitting on the uh, living room floor, listening to Bill Shonley. Um, I think you have at different times sort of thrown your hands up as a Blazer fan and said, hey, it's not happening. We're cursed.
1: Yeah, I, and I'm kind of with that caller right now. Like, I want to be enthusiastic, but I agree with so much of what that caller is saying I don't know how old that caller is. He said two and a half.
0: 78. 78. Okay. No, I don't know. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no. He said two and a half decades, right? So I'm like 25. So I'm a little older. Um, A lot older. And then, I don't know. I just, I want to be enthusiastic, but I don't have it in me. Like, I want to Mm. root for the team, but I feel like with this trade, and I knew it was coming, and I don't, wish ill will upon Damian Lillard at all. I hope he goes and is successful, but it really leaves me grasping at like what what do I root for now? I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure that I want to invest so the you, energy you into like even, starting over again. I feel like I'm starting yeah. over and I'm I'm not sure like I want to invest the energy into learning who mm. the players are again even. Wow. Because I'm like, well, how long are they going to be here? I don't know. And I feel awful about that. I want to be enthusiastic, but I'm having a hard time finding that fire inside.
0: Do you agree with the caller that if a sale of ownership would suddenly jolt fans back into believing, hoping, having faith, whatever you want to use for your terminology?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that would um, it would help. I don't think that's. The end all be all solution. I think it would tremendously help. But I also know the reality that they're not selling. They're just they're gonna keep holding on to this.
2: We you interrupt this podcast with a special announcement know? from the Bald Face.
0: sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio show. Thanks for listening.